Welcome to the teaching ministry of The Cause Church. We pray you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed as you listen to the Word of God. Uh, we've been in a series called Mind Monsters, Mind Monsters, and addressing issues that try to still kill and destroy God's best for our lives. So we've talked so far about defeating fear. We talked about defeating worry and anxiety. We talked about defeating discouragement and depression. And today I want to talk to you about defeating deception. Defeating deception. Of course, this is Halloween today. And Halloween really is all about, it's really all about fear and deception. It's trick or treat. It's, you know, we dress up as costumes to try to, and wear masks to try to pretend to be somebody we're not, to try to, you know, in some ways deceive other people. Deception means to believe a lie. That's all it means. Deception means to believe a lie. By the way, church, how do you overcome lies? Come on, say it out loud. Good job, good job. It's not true. We'll come to that in a minute. Come back. And where do we find truth? The Bible. Good. If you're in Sunday school, just say Jesus or the Bible. You'll get it right about most of the time, all right? So, you know, all of us, including myself, I think every single one of us, including myself, anybody watching online, hearing the sound of my voice, we probably are all deceived in some areas of our lives and probably believe some things that aren't true. And they might be very, very insignificant to incredibly important, even have eternal consequences, actually. For example, if you think that sandwiches are better than tacos, you're deceived. <laughs> if you're a Raiders fan, you're definitely deceived. Come on. The problem, by the way, with deception is you don't know that you're deceived. You know, if you're fearful, you know that you're battling fear. If you're anxious, you know that you're battling anxiety. If you're deceived, you don't know. That's the nature of deception. Last night, I walked out of the house for church, and I got here, and I was feeling pretty decent about myself, thought I looked all right. And I stood up, and I realized that my jeans had, like, a slight kind of stain. I'm like, babe, I, look at my jeans. They don't look good. She says, why are you wearing those jeans? They're old and they're ugly. Don't wear those ever again. And then she said, what shoes are you wearing? You don't match at all. I had no idea I was in deception until my wife told me that I was. Sometimes we need people to tell us the truth in love. Matthew chapter 24, in fact, actually as I was studying for this message, I was really surprised because I'd never preached a message on this or studied this. I was surprised at how much scripture talks about deception. Not just in the New Testament, but even in the Old Testament, but a lot in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is talking about his return, what we often call the second coming, the, the end of the age. And he says a lot of very, very important things. You ought to go home and read it. But one of the things that he says over and over again is he talks about how deception in the last days is going to increase. And he says many will be deceived, even the elect. Men and women, if you know the Lord, he's talking about us. Uh, so this is an important topic that we need to pay attention to, that we need to be taught on. And, you know, in my own opinion, you don't have to agree with this, but in my own opinion, I think that deception in our world is increasing at an exponential rate. 
I mean, especially in the last two years. The source of deception, the Bible says, is the devil. Revelation 12, 9. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Those are all of his angels are, are what we can now call demons. Jesus said this about the devil in John chapter 8, verse 44. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Church, every lie that you and I believe represents something that the devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy from your life. And we see this right at the beginning of creation. In fact, if you have your Bible, I want you to open up with me to Genesis chapter 2. In fact, go ahead and stand to your feet as we do sometimes when we read the truth of God's word. Go ahead and stand up, everybody. I'm going to read out of the New King James. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Come up after service, but you can follow along on the screen as well. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Skip to verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely... What, church? Come on, you shall surely... Okay, let's go to chapter 3 now, verse 1. Now the serpent, Satan, we just read about that, Revelation. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said to him, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. That's so funny to me, by the way. But. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. As you're seated, look at the person next to you and said, I bet Adam slept on the couch that night. Come on. I bet, I bet he got in some trouble. I found a, a, 
a picture in my son Cohen's room. I don't know why he drew this, but go ahead and put it on the screen real quick. Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, and so he got kicked out of the garden, and they were naked, but they got clothes. Then they got kids, and one of them committed murder to his brother because he was jealous. That's, that's my son's version of Genesis chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. Uh, the last one says, die, and the guy's like, okay. Yeah, I don't think that's how it went with Cain and Abel, but anyways. Since the beginning of creation, we see how the enemy, how Satan lies and uses deception in three ways. Number one is deception believes lies about God. Deception believes lies about God. The serpent twisted the truth of what God said in order to deceive and plant doubt in Adam and Eve's mind. They believed his lie about God, and friends, so do we, and people for generation after generation have. Here's a lie that some of us believe about God. God doesn't really love me and can't forgive me for what I've done. That's a lie. That's not what God's word says. The word of God says in Psalm 103, he forgives your sins, everyone. He heals your diseases, everyone. He redeems you from hell, saves your life. He crowns you with love and mercy, a paradise crown. He wraps you in goodness, beauty eternal. He renews your youth. You're always young in his presence. Somebody ought to say amen. Here's another lie the enemy tells us about God. God doesn't really hear you when you pray. Your prayers don't make a difference. He hears Marilyn and Pastor Judy, but he doesn't hear your prayers. Well, the Bible says in Psalm 65, 5, you faithfully answer our prayers with awesome deeds. Oh God, our Savior, you are the hope of everyone on earth. Here's another lie we believe about God. God's job is to fix all my problems. Some of us think that God doesn't love us or hear our prayers because he hasn't fixed all of our problems. Men and women, God is not a genie. It is not his job to fix all of your problems. God never promised that. You know what he did promise? God promised to be with you and to see you through all of your problems. Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So deception is believing lies about God. Number two, deception believes lies about yourself. Many of the lies that we believe about ourselves are, are negative and create a broken identity or even self-hatred. Some of us don't really love ourselves. In fact, some of us hate ourselves because for all or most of our life, we believe death-filled lies that the enemy has whispered in our ear. Things like, I'm ugly, no one will ever love me. Or I'm stupid, I can't do it. I'm hopeless, I'll never be happy. I'm broken, God can never use me for his purposes. I only got two good teeth, maybe I'll only be able to work at Walmart. Come on somebody, you know it's true. Hey, I'll take groans. Those are as good as laughs in my book. So I have, a, I have a redneck calendar, and you guys look way too uptight. So I'm sorry, i got to take a break. You might be a redneck if your jack-o'-lantern has more teeth than you do. I don't care who you are. That's funny right there, all right? Anyways, Satan tries to get us to take the focus off of God and put it onto ourselves. Men and women, if you know the Lord then your identity is in Christ and Christ alone. Your, your, your self-worth ought not to come from your net worth. 
It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have in your bank account. It doesn't matter how many initials you have after your name, how smart you think you are. It doesn't matter what you have or don't have. Your identity is in Christ. You're a child of God. The fact that he has saved you, called you, redeemed you, pulled your life out of a pit, and that you are a son or daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that's where your identity ought to come from. So it doesn't matter what anybody else ever says about you or what lies the devil tries to whisper in your ear. Your identity is in Christ. So stop believing those lies. Some of the lies that we believe are just totally selfish and self-centered, and they push God entirely out of our lives. That's what the devil whispered to them. He said, you will not surely die. You will not surely die. It's not going to touch you. <laughs> Here's a lie that some of us believe. My life belongs to me and I control it. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. Nobody's gonna, I'm an American. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. <laughs> I don't need nobody. Some of us think like that. It's like the old Frank Sinatra song. I did it my way. That makes for a great song, but that's a terrible way to live. This is what the, Paul writes in Romans chapter 6. He says, thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. In other words, friends, every single person on this planet, you and me and everybody else, we are serving someone or something. And if you don't know the Lord, the Bible says you are a slave to sin. You might not realize it. You might say that's not true. It is. Sin is your master. Sin has dominion over, over your life. And that is who and what you are serving. But when you come to Christ... Jesus breaks the power of sin over you. He forgives you of all of your sin. And now you are serving him, the king of kings. Come on, the Lord of lords. And the Bible says now you're connected to him, so you're a slave to righteous living. I know the word slave is, is not a good word, but it's talking about being in connection and in relationship with the one who brings life. Number three is this. Deception believes lies about sin. Deception believes lies about sin. When Adam and Eve believed the lie of the devil, the whisper of the enemy, and they chose to disobey God, sin, what the Bible calls sin, came into our world. And sin, in its essence, in definition, it is selfishness, it is rebellion against God, it is choosing to live life your way instead of God's way. And just like the devil whispered in Adam and Eve's ears, he whispered, whispers in ours, and we believe so many lies about sin. Here's a lie. Just this one time, no one will find out. Thank God that he's saved me from this, but I've talked to a lot of people that have got into severe drug addiction or alcohol addiction, and it all starts with that lie right there. A lot of people that get into sexual addiction or in affairs, it's because they chose to believe that lie just this once. Friends, even if you're able to hide it, even if you're able to fake the funk and, and fool and trick everybody else, you're not fooling God. Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, says but Jesus' primary concern was his disciples. That's you and I. And he said to them, watch yourselves carefully so you don't get contaminated with Pharisee yeast, Pharisee phoniness. You can't keep your true self hidden forever. 
Before long, you'll be exposed. You can't hide behind a religious mask forever. Sooner or later, the mask will slip and your true face will be shown. Wow. Here's another lie we believe about sin. It's okay as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. Friends, our sin, your sin, my sin, it might be secret, but it is never private. All of our sin has a direct or indirect negative effect on the people around us because God created us for a relationship and it affects others whether you realize it or not. Numbers 32 verse 23 says, you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Here's another lie we believe about sin. I deserve it and I'll just ask God for forgiveness later. God will still love me and forgive me. Cheap grace. It's called cheap grace. That's what Bonhoeffer called it. Paul writes about this in Romans 6. He said, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Friends, sin always involves self-deception. At the moment we begin to go down a path of sin, we're deceiving ourselves because we are believing that what we're doing, what we're thinking, what we're saying, what we're engaging, what we're embracing, we believe that that will produce better results than what God can give us. Do, do you see the deception there? 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. These are scary verses. But this is what the Word of God says. Here's one more. Here's one more lie that we believe about sin. I will not die. This isn't going to kill me. And that's, that is the lie that Satan whispered into their ears. Let me tell you something, men and women. Sin always overpromises and underdelivers. Every time. 100% of the time. It always overpromises and underdelivers. <laughs> it's like... Late at night when you can't go to sleep and you turn on the TV and you're watching those infomercials. And they are selling the weirdest products you have ever seen in your life. But somehow within five minutes, they have convinced you that you cannot live without this product. You ever seen the shake weight before? What in the heck? Somehow after five minutes, I need the shake weight. Man, 15 minutes a day, 15 days in a row, I'm going to lose 15 pounds. Those things always overpromise and underdeliver. There's a law in economics called the law of diminishing returns. And it says this, that when you start to use something, initially you get a high amount of utility or happiness. But the more and more you use it, the less and less happiness and utility you get from it. It is diminishing. And friends, that is exactly true of sin. The first high, the first drink, the first time you inhale, the first time you shoot up, the first time you sleep with somebody who's not your spouse, the first time you get in a fight, the first time you say it, the first time you look at it, that is as good as it will ever get. And then there is a law of diminishing returns. And if you keep going down that path, you need more and you want more and more and more and you get less and less and less from it. And now you don't even realize it, but now it's not that you want it, but you need it. Why? Because you're a slave to sin. You're in chains, you're in bondage, the devil has a stronghold in your life, and you don't even realize it. 
And even though you might not die physically, although, although some things can kill you, you're dying spiritually because sin is killing you. And afterwards, you still feel hopeless and you still feel empty and depressed and lonely and anxious and afraid and hurting. And if you don't deal with it, friends, eventually it will lead to eternal death, which the Bible calls hell, which is eternal separation from God. James chapter 1 says, Then when desire, it's talking about an evil or sinful desire, has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Galatians 6 verse 7 and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Adam and Eve, immediately after they sinned, immediately they experience at least five consequences that I, that I see in Scripture. And, and they're the same things that we experience when we sin against the Lord. It says that they realized they were naked. In other words, they were ashamed and embarrassed. And sin always does. That puts shame on you. Condemnation. It says that they were afraid. Fear entered. Anxiety, fear came into their life. They hid from God. In other words, their intimate relationship with God, their close fellowship with God, there is now a separation and a breach. Adam blamed Eve and God. He blamed both of them in one statement. He says, the woman whom you gave me. <laughs> it's her fault and it's your fault. In their intimate relationship with each other between Adam and Eve, that was affected. And then despite the lie that they believed from the devil, they did die. It was that moment that physical death entered humanity, which was never God's original intention. And they began to get old. They began to get come on wrinkly and they began to die physically but they also experienced spiritual death that was caused by sin i want to watch a, a brief video that i think illustrates deception and sin both on a personal level and also on a national level you can watch the screen if i were the devil if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness, and I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, the. So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. 
If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. That voice was Paul Harvey, an American radio broadcaster. He originally broadcast that on April 3rd, 1965. And it's more relevant today than it was even back then. Men and women, I want to I tell you how to defeat deception. I'm going to give you six biblical truths. Number one is this. If you want to defeat deception in your life, number one is know the incarnate truth, Jesus Christ. The answer to deception is truth. And Jesus Christ, God incarnate, God in the flesh, is truth. John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 says about Jesus, He never sinned, nor, nor ever deceived anyone. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus did not say, I am a way and a truth, and so take whatever path you want because they all lead to me. That's not what he says. He, he said, I am the truth. Jesus did not even claim just to speak the truth. He claimed to be truth itself. By definition, truth is not relative. It is not relative, and it is not broad. Truth is by definition, in its very essence, is narrow and definite. Two plus two is four. Even if you use common core math and you take 53 steps to get that answer, it is still four. It's not three or five or eight trillion or infinity or whatever you feel like you want it to be on that day. It's four. One of the lies that culture believes in men and women, young adults, this message is especially for you. I know we've got young adults here. Young adults have grown up. If you're, if you're 25 or even 30 years of age or younger, you have grown up in a culture where every, almost everything you've heard is an absolute lie about every single issue. And one of the truths is that, or one of the lies that we, we hear in our culture is that truth is relative. 
Live your own truth. Live your own truth. You do you, boo. Every time I hear that or I see that on social media, I want to puke. It is a hot, steaming pile of nonsense garbage. It is deception. It might sound nice on the surface. It sounds loving on the surface. But it is a lie, and it will lead you to hell. Proverbs 14, verse 12, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man. There's a way that feels right, that I think is right. It feels good. It, it seems right. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death and destruction. You can, friends, you can be like Frank Sinatra. You can live life your own way, but, it, but in the end, your way is wrong. Because <laughs> it's not the truth. And so the good news is that truth is not just, it's not just definite and narrow. It is personal, and his name is Jesus. And we can know him. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 32, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Guys, it, it just has always made so much sense to me that if God is the author of life, if he is the creator of life, then he knows how life is supposed to work. And so when we do it his way, it's always better. God's ways are always better. God's ways in our marriage are better. His ways in our finances are better. His way in our bodies and our health is better. In our thinking, in our emotions, in our work, in every part of our life. Why? Because he's the author of life. So when he tells us in his word, he says, guys, don't live, men and women, don't live this way. Stay away from that. He's trying to keep us away from death, not from having fun. It's because he wants to give us life, and you shall know the truth. Knowing Jesus and living his way gives us the freedom to live and be the, the people that God created us to be and enjoy his presence and his power and his peace and live our lives with purpose and with passion, live our lives in light of eternity because our life on earth is brief, and we're going to spend eternity with him. Number two is this. If you want to defeat deception, stop listening to lying voices. Stop listening to lying voices. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He's writing to Christians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. Listen to this, verse 4. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. Let me tell you some blatant and very, very obvious lying voices, but some of us just don't know because we're deceived. And if you're a Jesus follower, you should have nothing to do with any of these because they are directly connected to satanic deception. Ouija boards, tarot cards, palm readers, psychics, burning candles and incense and praying to saints or your dead ancestors. Tomorrow, November 1st, Dia de los Muertos. You have no business as a Jesus follower celebrating any of those things or embracing those things. I would be careful, and I know it's popular in our culture, I would be careful and warn you even against the Enneagram, that personality test, because that has astrological and mysticism connections to it. Some of us listen way too much to lying and deceiving voices on the news, political talk radio, on the left or the right or anywhere in between, social media, Googling all kinds of stuff that we have no business 
reading or looking at, on YouTube, watching all kinds of nonsense and listening to so-called gurus and experts and people that they think they're smarter than everybody else, including God. Stop listening to lying voices, church. And you might think, well, well, that's your opinion. How do you know? How do you know that they're lying? If it doesn't line up with Jesus and it doesn't line up with his word, then it's deception and it's lies. Number three is this. If you want to get out of deception, ask the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, to show you where you are deceived. Any lies that you believed. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And so just pray and say, Lord, show me. Are there any lies in my life that I believed about you, about myself, about sin, about other people, about groups of people, about other you know, whatever, other places in the world, there are lies that I believe about my spouse and my marriage, things that are happening in the world, and he will speak to you and show you, friends. If, number four, if you want to defeat deception, and especially if, if the Lord shows you where you're off, then number four, confess and repent of your sin. Confess and repent of your sin. Is there anything in your life that you're pretending isn't a problem or you're not really addicted to? Maybe something that in your heart you know is wrong, but you're justifying it, you're rationalizing it, you're trying to excuse it away and trying to say it's not that big of a deal. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because his ways, friends, God's ways are always, always better. And so we, some of us, all of us, all of us, throughout our life, we need to repent. That's the first step to coming into the kingdom of God is repentance. But we continually need to repent in our lives. Repent means to change your thinking. It's saying, God, you're right and I'm wrong. And I want to change. I'm sorry and I want to change and help me to change. That's true repentance. And listen, men and women, when God corrects you, when he brings correction in your life, repent quickly. When you're going, if you're going down the wrong path, going down the wrong way, then come back and start walking his way. Matthew chapter 3, verse 8 says this, So produce fruit that is consistent with repentance, demonstrating new behavior that proves a change of heart and a conscious decision to turn away from sin. That's repentance. Number five is this, spend time with Christians who will speak the truth in love to you. If you want to defeat deception, spend time with Christians who will speak the truth in love to you. Too many of us spend time with people who tell us what we want to hear, but not what we need to hear. And so when we're having problems in our marriages, we, we call or text the person who's going to commiserate with us and tell us, leave that loser, you're better than that. That's what you want to hear. That's not what you need to hear, friend. You need to have some other brothers and sisters who know Jesus, who are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, who are filled with wisdom, that will tell you, you're being a knucklehead, knock it off. But they'll tell it to you in love. They'll speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15. That's why we need a church family. That's why we need to be together. In fact, he, listen to this, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Wow. That's why we need to be in small groups and in relationship and in connect groups so we can you know, have fellowship with each other and if if I'm off base, Zach can look at me and I say, John, Pastor John, 
that you're wrong there, but he can do it in love. Come on, church. Somebody say amen. Here's the, here's the sixth point. Here's the last point. If you're going to defeat deception, base your thoughts, decisions, and actions on the truth of God's word. Base your thoughts, decisions, and actions on the truth of God's word. Jesus prayed for us, for you and I, in John chapter 17. And one of the things he prayed is he said, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Church, men and women, this is the truth. This is the truth that we live our lives based on. This is the filter. This is the foundation. Every thought, every word, every action, every decision, everything regarding our future, everything regarding parenting, marriage, finances, emotions, sexuality, gender, it is all filtered through the word of God. This is the truth that you're building your life on if you say you're a Jesus follower. And if you say, I don't believe that, I don't believe that's to be true, then go and find your own truth. Go and live your own truth. I'm telling you, it's not going to end well, friends. Jesus says, anything else you live your life on, it is like shifting, sinking sand. Build your life on my word. It is a sure foundation. Listen, when we live according to the word of God, the Bible says we are prosperous. We are successful. We are blessed. We are highly favored. We have God's best in every part of our life, we experience abundant and eternal life. It is the truth of the word of God. And if your truth, or I'm sorry, if your thoughts and your decisions and actions don't line up with God's word, then guess what? You need to change because the word of God does not change. In fact, God says, and he says over and over again, I am the Lord, your God. I do not change and my word will never change. So guess who needs to change men and women? You do and I do. Because God's not changing. And he doesn't need to do the Bible 2.0. He doesn't need to revise and update some things because the things, some of these things aren't popular anymore in our world or our culture. Let me, let me tell you a, a couple of lies. These are kinds of things that we hear as pastors. You know, in confidentiality, but these are good examples. Here's, here's a lie that some people believe. I don't really report all of my, in, all of my income on my taxes because I'm in a high tax bracket. I get the... You know, you know what taxed on me anyways. And I don't agree with what the government's doing with my tax money. So I don't feel bad about it. Well, you can feel however you want to about it, friends. But that is a lie and deception. You're wrong. Because that's not what the word of God says. Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Here's another one. Here's another one. Yeah, I, I live together and I sleep with my boyfriend or my girlfriend because we're going to get married anyways. And, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And it saves us money, too, by the way, because then, you know, she doesn't have to pay rent. Night on, so it's economically, it's, it's fiscally responsible. Friends, you could say that and think that if you want. That is a lie. You're in deception because you're out of bounds according to what God's word says. Here's another one. I'm leaving my husband. Because he's not a Christian and he's treated me like garbage our whole marriage for 30 years. And I met a man of God. I met a man of God and he loves me and he treats me right. And we go to church and we worship together. And when I'm with him, man, we just feel the peace of God. Well, you might be feeling whatever you're feeling, but I'm telling you, that is a lie and you're in deception. You are wrong. That is not truth. Culture tells us all of those kinds of things, but we don't live according to culture. We live according to kingdom. 
And culture is always changing and redefining truth literally almost every single day. It is shocking. It is, it's, in some ways, it's almost humorous. Our culture redefines truth all the time, makes up their own truth. Culture, would, culture says things like this. Well, well, let me just tell you something. The LGBTQ movement and its agenda is absolute deception. It is demonic. It is a hellish attack on our world. It, there is nothing in that that lines up with the word of God. Nothing. The gender fluidity that, our, that culture is, is not just embracing but celebrating and promoting right now and allowing people, especially children, to choose at their own whim and change genders whenever they want, that is absolute deception. That is an absolute lie from the pit of hell. It has not, no place in the Word of God. The, the, the pro-choice movement for abortion, men and women, my, my body, my right to choose, that is absolute deception. And I am shocked at how many Bible Bible-believing, Jesus-loving people in the church believe that to be true. Abortion is deception. It is a lie from the pit of hell. There is no biblical basis for that in God's word, period, at all. And, and listen, some of you, when I say those things, all you hear is politics. Your political radar goes way up. And you think, I didn't know Pastor John thought those things. I thought this church didn't talk about politics. If that's you, you're in, I'm talking to you, you're in deception, men and women. These are not... These are not first and foremost political issues. These are biblical scriptural issues. And if you're going to follow Jesus, then you can choose what you want to believe. If you're going to live, if you're going to get truth from politics, liberal, conservative, Democrat, or Republican. By the way, Jesus is not a Democrat and he's not a Republican. He's neither. But if you're going to get, if you're going to embrace that as truth, you can live that way. I'm just telling you, I'm going to live my truth according to the word of God. And even when it's unpopular, and even when culture calls me all kinds of names, and I'm telling you, church, persecution in the American church, it is on the rise right now. And it is becoming increasingly unpopular to be a Christian. In the, in the 60s and 70s, the charismatic renewal of the Jesus movement, from what I've heard anyways, there was an explosion. I pray that God brings revival like that. But there was a season where that was, that was almost a cool thing. We're not in that season right now at all anymore. And you need to, you're either going to bow to culture or you're going to stand for truth. And you can choose. <laughs> here's, here's one more cultural lie, by the way. This is said by people in the highest levels of influence. Here's a lie. What we really need is tolerance. Because if you really love people, you will accept them for who they are. Now... I'll be honest with you, when, I, when you first hear that on the surface, that sounds, that actually sounds right. That kind of sounds like it could be in the Bible. But if you just take a moment to think about it, you realize that is absolute deception and nonsense and illogical. Unconditional love does not mean unconditional acceptance and unconditional approval. Those two things are not the same thing, friends. Any of you that have kids or grandchildren, you know that to be true. Because when your 11-year-old punches your 13-year-old daughter in the throat, you might still, you still love both of them, but you do not unconditionally approve of that kind of behavior. Come on. And listen, God loves all of us, you and I, in the midst of our brokenness. 
And he loves every person, the seven billion plus or however many people are on this planet right now. People that shake their fists and curse him and, and, you know, literally say all and hate God. God loves him, those men and women, as much as he loves you and I. But he doesn't just unconditionally approve of all of this kinds of behavior. He says there's a better way. Friends, that is why Jesus went to the cross is because of sin. It is a big deal. Sin is a big deal. It was your sin and my sin that nailed the king of glory to the cross. That he had to step out of heaven and wrap himself in humanity and die in a humiliating, excruciating death while people mocked and spit at him and cursed him. And while he was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Friends, that's love. But it is because of God's love and his mercy and his justice and his holiness that he had took all the sin and he punished it at the cross. And so he says, men and women, there's a better way to live. There's a better way to live. Let me free you from your brokenness. Let me rescue you from your sin. And let me give you my peace and my purpose and my joy. And walk in relationship with me. And I know you're not going to be perfect. So let me fill you with the power and the presence of my Holy Spirit. So that you can live victoriously. Come on, somebody. Stop believing lies. And embrace the truth. Friends, God loves you so much. And maybe you're here today and you've never made a decision to open up your heart, surrender your life to him. I, I am, I think more and more about this because I meet people now in the church and I know some people that go to church their whole life and they don't know the Lord. They just go to church. I, it's like maybe it checks a religious box off or maybe it makes them feel good, but they don't know the Lord. You can go to church your whole life and die and end up in hell. Because coming to church does not make you a Christian or Jesus. It's not what gives you salvation. You have to fall at least figuratively on your face before the king of glory and say, I am a wretched sinner. Save me and rescue me, God. Forgive me and, 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 and fill me with your power and your love. I need to change. I want to follow you and serve you. But you have to make that decision. Nobody can make that decision for you. You can believe whatever you want to believe. And you can take everything I just said and you can throw it in the garbage. I'm just telling you, I preached as much, much as I could the truth of what God's word says to give you an opportunity to respond to him and respond to his love. And I want to give you that opportunity right now. Maybe you've walked away from the Lord and at one point you, you know, prayed a prayer, and, but you've walked away from him. You know, God doesn't actually leave us, but I know because I've talked to people that willfully choose to walk away from him. Say, I don't want anything to do with that anymore. I don't want anything to do with you. Come back to him today, friends. Repent. He loves you. Come back to him. Would you close your eyes for a moment? If you're here today and maybe even you're watching online, you say, John, I want to I make that decision. I want to come into relationship with God for the first time or come back to him. Then on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand and I'm going to agree with you and then I'll lead all of us in a prayer. But I won't embarrass you or call you out. I want to agree with you because there's power in agreement. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. So if that's you, friends, just respond to the Lord. On the count of three, raise your hand and look at me. One, two, three. Lift your hand, hold it high until I see you, and then I'm, I'll lead you in prayer, prayer of salvation. 
Hold your hand in this place till I see you. Raise it up high. Anybody in this place today? There's some people here I know. I'll give one more moment. Friends, I don't, if you're battling in your heart, that's, you ought to just open surrender to the Lord. I want to ask one other question. You can keep your eyes closed, but maybe you're, Maybe you realize that there's some sort of lie that you believed in your life. I'm, I'm talking now, you know the Lord, but you recognize that there was some sort of lie either that you believed about God or yourself or maybe about sin and, and you want to uh, just surrender that to the Lord, confess it, repent of it, surrender it to Him and just say, God, I, I want to embrace your truth. With everybody else's eyes closed. I don't know what it is. I have no idea, but would you just raise your hand because I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. God spoke to you today, so lift your hand, hold it high. You're saying, yeah, I, just, I recognize there's some lie or lies that I believed in my life. And I want to surrender them to the Lord today. Okay, I see your hands. You can put them down. Father, I just thank you for these men and women who are just recognizing, surrendering, submitting to you. God, the lies, whatever it is about you, about themselves, about sin. Lord, I pray that you would push these lies out. We cast them out in the name of Jesus. We speak your truth into them, God. We pray that they would repent of whatever they need to repent of, that you would forgive them, wash them clean. Give them the power and the presence, God, of your love and your Holy Spirit to help them to change and begin to live for you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to this message from The Cause Church. For more information about The Cause or for further resources, visit our website, thecause.cc or call 714-255-0930.